Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here with you in worship today. If you'll please open your Bibles to John chapter 9. You know, making decisions in the dark, making decisions about things you can't see with your eyes closed or with a lack of information can be a dangerous thing. It can lead to some regrettable consequences. There's a story back in the days before electricity of a tight-fisted old farmer who was taking this hired man to task because he carried a lighted lantern when he went to call on his girl that night, or the night before. And, and the old man, the old farmer said, Why, when I went to court and I never carried one of them things, I always went in the dark. And the hired man, Riley, said, Yes, and look what you got. <laughs> a lot of us are stumbling around in the dark because we refuse to live in the light of the Lord. We see people all around us that we, we know. We have a whole culture that's just proudly stumbling around in the dark without the light of the truth of God. You know, and, and even, even among us as believers in Jesus who have been given the light, how many of us choose not to follow it? We aren't following Jesus. We've, we've taken His light and we've set it up on a shelf and we're trying to see our own way through the darkness. And all of us in this room, we all have our blind spots, don't we? Those, those places in our life, those dark places where we're afraid or ashamed or just plain too stubborn and prideful to let the light of Christ shine. Many of you, I know this past week uh, on Monday, lost power because of the hurricane, because of Irma. Now, when you lost power, if you had a flashlight handy, would you have used it? Yeah, and I'd say many of you probably used a flashlight or lit a candle or turned on a lamp or a lantern of some kind, maybe fired up the generator so you could have electricity. And, and, and when the power did come on, did you continue just to sit in the dark? No, you turned on the light. Yet how often do we refuse to let Jesus shine His light in the dark corners of our lives? In 1 John chapter 2 the Apostle John writes, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Some of us are stumbling around in the darkness. Blinded by unforgiveness, prejudice, pride. Maybe you're blinded by lust or self-righteousness or materialism or ambition. I could go on. As we continue on our journey through the Bible today, as we are looking at the Gospel of John, which we're in the middle of reading right now, I want us to look at an amazing story that John records. And it's John's the only place where we read this story. And as we look at this together this morning, I want you to ask yourself, am I stumbling around in the dark? Am I stubbornly refusing to let Jesus shine His light in me and through me? Consider that this morning. And maybe someone here this morning or someone listening on the radio needs to ask, am I spiritually blind? Have I ever experienced the light and love of Jesus Christ in my life? There may be people listening right now who are lost and living in utter darkness. 
Because each and every one of us are born spiritually blind. It is only when we follow Jesus by faith and accept His grace gift of spiritual sight that any of us can truly ever really see and experience the forgiveness and the abundant and eternal life that Jesus Christ came to give. So let's look at John chapter 9. Let's walk through this chapter together with those questions just echoing in the back of our mind. Let's look at verses 1 through 7. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. This man was blind from birth, has been was illustrating with the children. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, even when the power does go out, even when we are stumbling around in the dark, we at least kind of know what things look like. We can close our eyes and imagine those things. But this man didn't know what anything looked like. But rather than try to identify with this man, rather than try to put themselves in his shoes and look on him with compassion, all the disciples could do was debate theology. Now, all of us wonder from time to time about why, you know, bad things happen to good people. Why do terrible things happen in this world like the two hurricanes that our country has recently experienced, like the terror attacks in London over the weekend? But the problem with trying to discern why things happen to people is that we often get so obsessed with that we fail to look at who these tragedies happen to. The disciples didn't see this man. They only saw a theological point to be made. They had curiosity, but they didn't have compassion. And Jesus wasn't interested in fixing blame, but in offering grace. The hurting was preparation for the healing that was about to come. And sometimes that's what God does. Sometimes God brings glory to Himself by healing those who are sick. Sometimes by not healing. Think about Paul and the thorn in his flesh that he prayed for God to remove three times. And God didn't remove it, but said, My grace is sufficient for you. See, it's not about our comfort. Whether God heals or doesn't heal, it's not about our comfort. It's all about His glory. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the light of the world. Now, this is the second time in John's Gospel that Jesus says this. And right here, He's about to show everyone what this means. As the light of the world, Jesus gives sight to the blind and He exposes the blindness of the self-righteous. In this story of healing, I want us to focus on two main things. We have three points, but the two of them are grouped together. I want us to look at the action of the man's faith. His action in faith was that he went and he washed. But then I also want us to look at the results of the, the result of the man's faith, and that is he came home seeing. That's the result of his faith. 
And this is a great pattern for us as we consider our own spiritual blindness or our own blind spots or our own uh, tendency to put that light under a bushel and to hide it. Do we want to receive the gift of spiritual sight? Do we want the light of Christ to shine in our lives and through our lives? If so, then we too must go and wash and then we can see. So the first thing I want you to notice is the man went. He went. Notice the man's condition as we've already talked about. He was blind from birth. And again, this story is inviting us to ask of ourselves, what is my condition? Am I blind? Can I see? Do I have the light of Christ in me? Am I following the light of Christ? Am I allowing the Word of God to be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? Or am I just taking it and setting it up on the shelf and not paying attention to it? What is my condition? And the second thing, notice Jesus' instruction to the man blind from birth was to go and wash. Now, when you read this story, like me, you might look at the whole thing about the mud, you know? I mean... He spits on the ground and he takes the spit and he mixes it with dirt and he makes mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. Yeah, gross, right? Why does Jesus do this? Well, I think there can be a number of possible reasons for this. One is it's a personal touch. Isn't that nice? Uh, Two, it's a reminder. What did God do in Genesis 1 with the dirt of the ground? He created man, and not with the spit, but with the breath of God and that dirt, He made a human being, living, breathing human soul. And it's not the mud that brings the healing anyway. The mud is symbolic. The mud gives something for this man to do and his response of faith. It's his response that heals him. It's the obedience in faith that heals the man, not the mud. What if Jesus had made that mud, put it on the man's eyes, and said, go and wash, but the man didn't? And the man just kept walking around with dried mud on his eyes. Do you think that he would have been healed? No. It wasn't the mud that healed him. James tells us that faith without works is dead. It's as useless as dried mud on your face. And as we've talked about before, the kind of faith that Jesus demands is a faith that does something. It obeys because of the faith. Because of trust. Trust is a building block in any relationship. And Jesus wants us to trust Him. He wants us to believe in Him, to love Him. And because we love and trust Him, we obey Him. What is Jesus' instruction to you today? What is Jesus telling you to do? Last Sunday we talked about full circle discipleship, following Jesus full circle. Jesus expects us to leave everything behind, the nets, the boats, even people in our lives, and follow Him. And He gives us instruction. He instructs us to abide with Him. And allow His Spirit to abide in us and to transform us from the inside out. And then Jesus commands us to go and to make more disciples for Him. Are you obeying Jesus' instruction? Notice also here the man's conviction. He believed. He trusted what Jesus said to him enough that he did it. He was convicted. He went and he washed. What about you? Will you trust and obey the Lord? Will you answer His call to follow Him, deny yourself, take up your cross daily? 
Will you allow Jesus to shape you into His image? Will you go and make disciples for Him? And the last thing I want you to see about this part of the story is Jesus' intervention. Because this man was convicted and he trusted and he obeyed, Jesus interrupted this blind man's blindness with sight. Think about that. We don't think about it in those kinds of terms. This man's life was a a life of blindness and Jesus disrupted that. He ended the way this man had lived from before and He changed this man in such a way that his life from that moment on would be radically different. That's an interruption. Has Jesus interrupted your life of sin with His forgiveness? Has He arrested you? Has He stopped your life to this point and said, you are no longer going to be like this, but I'm going to change you? Have you experienced that radical moment of change with Jesus Christ? Has He robbed you of your blindness and given you sight? Has He redirected you from the dead-end path that you were living on and directed you to the path of eternal life? I can't help but think that there's got to be someone here this morning that's true of. And today can be the day that you can begin to see forever. So the man went, just as Jesus said. But the second thing he did was he washed. He washed. It wasn't just enough that the man went. He also had to wash. Now I want you to imagine trying to wash this mud out of your eyes. Is it one splash? If you've ever gotten stuff in your eyes, you just, one little splash of water take care of it? No, you, you, you wash it, you run the faucet over it, which I don't even want to think about that, I hate that. Uh, but, but with each wash, with each splash of water, with each rub, you remove more and more dirt and grit and mud, and with each wash you bring more light and clarity until finally you see clearly. And that's the way spiritual sight works. Once we come to faith in Christ, we have to still wash. We have to keep washing. We must still allow the Spirit of God to work in our hearts and our minds to chip away at our sinfulness, to point out our blind spots, to sweep out the cobwebs. The, the, the churchy word for this is sanctification. It's the difference between just being a believer in Jesus Christ and being a disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who follows Him full circle. And as we continue reading, I want you to look at how this man, though he was able to physically see now, is still washing away the mud of spiritual blindness. Look with me in verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Notice here the witness of this man's life. The witness of his life. The contrast, the difference between the way this man's life was and the way his before meeting Jesus and the way his life is after meeting Jesus was so great that it left his friends and his neighbors confused. 
Who is this? Is this the same guy? Oh, it can't be the same guy. He's blind. He begs on the road. This guy's seeing. He's walking around looking at everything. Now, the man takes no credit. He understands that his sight was a gift. Jesus did it all. He doesn't know much. He knows only that he was blind. He met Jesus, and now he can see. That's all the man knows. And when we have met Jesus, when we have had a genuine, life-changing encounter with God through Jesus Christ, it leaves us radically changed. Do people look at your life and see the difference because you've been with Jesus? Do they? Has there been that radical change in you? You see, it's not just enough. As powerful as that is, as powerful as that testimony of a changed life can be, it's not simply enough to just live out your faith in front of people. It's a start. I hear people sometimes say, well, you know, all I can do is just try to live a good Christian life in front of them. I don't know about you, but I don't live a good enough Christian life for that alone to be enough to witness to somebody about Jesus Christ. My life isn't that good. Yes, we try to live that radically changed life before other people, but even if our life really is that radically changed, the people can look at you and say, you know, there's just something different about that person. It usually just leaves them confused. Like this man's friends and neighbors, they don't understand the change in us. They may even feel threatened by the change in us. They need an explanation. They need to hear the gospel from you. They need to hear your story. And so that brings us to the second part, the words of his mouth. The witness of his life was a start. But then we look at the words of his mouth. Look in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, Well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. See, the Pharisees responded to this miracle not in wonder, but with their standard legalistic condemnation, just as they always did with Jesus. Back in chapter 5, verse 16, John tells us that because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Now, Jesus wasn't running a store. Jesus wasn't out mowing his yard. He was healing people, right? I mean, he was healing withered hands and giving blind people sight. But see, the Pharisees didn't see that the Sabbath was all about experiencing the shalom of God, the peace and the wholeness of God, which is exactly what Jesus was giving these people. They missed the point of the Sabbath. Now, we have to ask ourselves, are we, like the Pharisees, guilty of willfully allowing ourselves to be blinded by our traditions and our preferences? Or our prejudices? Are those things keeping us from seeing God's miraculous moving in our midst? 
when we sit in a worship service and people come down front to receive Christ, when we're in a worship service and people around us are raising their faces and maybe even their hands and they're just caught up in worship of Almighty God, if all we can do is sit there and grumble because we don't like the song, we're blind. We're not open to what God might do in unexpected ways, in unexpected places. We're not being open to how God might move in people that we would least think He would move to carry out His purposes. Look at verse 18. The Jews still did not believe that He had been blind and had received His sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say, was born blind? How is it that he now can see? So the Pharisees are so blinded by their traditions, by their interpretation of the law of Moses, by their religious system, by their own pride and self-righteousness, that they can't even handle the truth. And so they just outright deny the man was even blind to begin with. Yeah, no, 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 that's the answer. This is the wrong guy. This isn't the blind man. They just look alike. So they bring in the parents. Now look at the parents' response in verse 20. We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue, they'd be excommunicated. That was why his parents said, he is of age, Ask him. So this man's parents were afraid of being thrown out of their community. But their son wasn't. Their son was bold. I mean, yeah, they were amazed. They were thankful that their blind son could now see. But it wasn't enough to stake their reputations on. They had no conviction whatsoever. Now, what does that tell us? that the son was so bold and the parents were not. Well, I think it tells us that, that only the one who has experienced new sight for himself really knows what a blessing it is. You see, nothing can compare with a personal, life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. You can't ride your parents' or your spouse's coattails on this. You have to have that radical, life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ personally or there's no conviction in your life. Look at verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, when they say give glory to God, that's a, a colloquialism that means tell the truth. They're saying, tell the truth. And he does. He stands by his testimony. He says, I am telling the truth, and I am giving all the glory to God. And notice his testimony. Notice his Jesus story is simple, it's clear, and it's personal. Regardless of the audience he's speaking to, regardless of the circumstances, he simply shares with boldness what he has experienced. He shares with confidence what little he does know, no more and no less. He doesn't try to get into a theological debate. If they ask him a question he doesn't know the answer to, he simply says, but I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. I was blind. This man put mud on my eyes and told me to wash. I went and washed, and now I can see. That's all I know. 
when people see our lives have been changed by Jesus, they want to know how. They want to know why. They want to know what's made the difference in us. And that's our opportunity to share our faith. That makes us more than just believers. Look at verse 27. When they question him, the man answers and says, Do you want to become his disciples too? This man now considers himself a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple does more than just believe and receive. A disciple stands firm and defends. A disciple tells the story of Jesus regardless of the consequences. And you don't have to have all the answers. This man, if he, at this point in the story, if he had seen Jesus, he still couldn't identify Him. He knows very little about the man who healed him, but he shares what he does know. And he shares it with boldness, and he shares it with power, because it was real to him. He experienced it. But notice also this, not only the witness of his life and the words of his mouth, but we see the working out of his faith. Look at verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man and does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. That's called shutting down the conversation right there, isn't it? Not a single person. This is interesting. This man is correct when he says, No one's heard of a man you know, born blind given sight. If you look in the Old Testament, as we've just done, not a single blind person in the Old Testament is healed. Not one but it's the most frequent miracle in the New Testament. Isn't that fascinating? The Pharisees were outraged. I mean, suddenly it's like they were the ones on trial here. Suddenly the man like turns the tables and he's the one questioning them. He's the one questioning their authority and their theology. And so they fell back on their religious credentials, just like Nicodemus did, just like the woman at the well did. And we just read those stories yesterday. They were not only blind at this point, they were also willfully deaf. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear his story. They didn't want to hear the truth. And so what did they do? They threw him out. They kicked out the man that, interestingly enough, Jesus Christ has already welcomed in. And that's what the Lord does. And this man, he's experienced what Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 1 when he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That's what Jesus did for this man. He rescued him from not just physical blindness, he's rescuing him from the dominion of darkness and he's bringing him into the kingdom of the Son. And yet these Pharisees think they can throw him out. The man went... He trusted Jesus enough to go and obey Him, and because of His faithful obedience, He received sight. The man washed. Gradually, He came not only to see physically, but spiritually as well, as His life and His words helped Him to work out His faith, and He grew in His knowledge of God until He came home 
seeing. Look at the rest of this story, beginning in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one who is speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see, those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. A couple of things about this last point. First is the man was found by Jesus. You know, oftentimes we talk about people finding Jesus, right? You know, have you found Jesus? I remember that, that one scene for Forrest Gump where Lieutenant Dan says, Forrest, have you found Jesus? And Forrest says, I didn't know he was missing. <laughs> See, the truth is, we are not the ones who find Jesus, are we? Jesus finds us. We're the ones who are lost in the darkness. Jesus, he goes after those who have been thrown out. Those who have been rejected, the losers, the least of these. And Jesus himself invited this man to saving faith in him. He longed to give this man far more than just physical sight. He wanted the man to have eternal spiritual sight as well. And Jesus always does that. He's always the one who invites. We talked about that last week. The invitation to discipleship. Jesus is always the one who initiates, whether it's physical sight or spiritual sight. Jesus is the one who calls us, come and follow me. Secondly, the man then sees the Son for the first time. This is the first time he's laid eyes on Jesus. You know, before the eclipse, we were told not to look at the sun because it would take away our sight. But this man looked to the sun and he gave him sight. And he saw Jesus. If we really want to see, we need to look to the sun. To Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And finally, he believes and worships Jesus as Lord. This is the climax of this man's spiritual journey. Just look, look at what he's called Jesus throughout his chapter. If you go back and you start over at the beginning of this chapter and just note what this man says about Jesus, the first thing he calls him is simply Jesus, his name. The next time the man refers to him, he calls him a prophet. Then he calls him one from God. But right here in verse 38, he calls him Lord. He's come full circle. He knows Jesus as more than just the man who healed him. He knows Jesus as his Lord. And he worships him. See, worship is always the end, goal, and result of a life of obedient faith. Remember what Jesus said at the beginning about healing this man? He said it was all to God's glory. And here the man is giving God the glory as he worships the Son, Jesus Christ. But the blind Pharisees, they were unwilling to acknowledge their blindness. They have placed themselves beyond the healing power of Jesus. You see, if we cannot recognize and admit our blindness, if we cannot admit the blind spots in our lives, how can we ever receive the gift of sight? If we never admit we're sitting in the darkness, why would we ever want to flip on a flashlight? We have to admit it. We have to confess it. The blind beggar did. He saw, he believed, and he lived out that faith 
and experience life as he'd never had it before. What about you this morning? Do you recognize your blindness? Are you willing to point out the blind spots in your life and give them to Jesus and ask Him to be the light of the world to you? Or are you going to deny your blindness and stumble around in the dark? How has God spoken to you this morning? Do you need to come today and experience sight? Do you need to come to Jesus for the first time and let Him give you sight and let Him radically change your life from this point on forever? I invite you to come this morning and to give your life to Jesus Christ and receive sight. Maybe today as a believer in Christ, you're guilty of taking that little light and hiding it under a bushel. You've been ashamed. You've been afraid. Today, why don't you come and renew your walk with Christ and say, Jesus, shine in and through me as you've never done it before. What bondage do you need to step out of today into the light of Christ? Would you stand and come as God leads.